This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans chapter 3 in your Bibles, if you would, this morning, uh, we find ourselves in the middle of, a, uh, again, a really heavy passage of Scripture, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, is what we'll take a look at today. Uh, again, this is like the, the third iteration, uh, the third part of the, this plow through these uh, eight verses here that are just so power-packed with uh, doctrine about the depravity of mankind, and we'll just take a look at one verse. Next week, we'll wrap up this passage all together, uh, and so Romans chapter 3, well, we're going to start at verse number 10 this morning. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongue they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, in the way of peace have they not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. If you were to catch the average person on the street during the week or talk to somebody at work and you ask them, hey, do you consider yourself to be a good person? The majority of people would say, yeah, I mean, like, I've got my faults, but I'm generally, overall, a good person. And so, again, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 tell a little bit of a different story, but most people would believe themselves to be good people who desire to do what's right. No, very few times you talk to someone who recognizes, I am a reprehensible human being and I, I deserve nothing good from life. The majority of people would say, hey, I, I'm a good person and I try to do what's right on a, for the most part. But the problem with that thinking is generally we fail to understand what is the standard of good and who determines right from wrong. And we have to answer those questions to be able to figure out, am I good, am I bad, am I right, am I wrong? And frankly, at the end of the day, my standard of what is good doesn't really hold a lot of weight. What I determine to be right or wrong doesn't necessarily hold a lot of weight. The question is, what does God think about what I do and how I live? In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, tell us here that God has uh, judged every single one of us, and he has determined that all of us fall short. Every single one of us. And again, we might say, well, I'm a pretty good person, and God would say that there's none righteous, no, not one. Your throat is an open sepulcher. You speak lies and deceit, uh, that the poison of asps is under your lips that your feet are swift to shed blood, that mischief is in your ways, and all you want to do is sin. And so, according to God's standard, we kind of really all fall short. Now, that's problematic if you and I are left to work on this on our own, but the good news is God has sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin. Jesus was the only one righteous. Jesus was the only one who never sinned, and God sent his son, God in the flesh, to die for our sins. Jesus Christ came, suffered, bled, died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day for one purpose and one purpose only, to deliver us from our sins. 
Our greatest problem in this world today is not whatever the television tells us is a big problem or whatever the pollsters say is our biggest problem in America. Our deepest problem as a human race really is just our sinful condition. And so God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sin and to also, when we get to Romans chapter 6, release us from the bondage of our sins. But that's a decision that you have to make for yourself. Everyone must make a personal decision whether or not you choose to follow Jesus or you choose to reject Jesus. If you choose to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and you repent of your sin, repent means to turn away from or to agree with God that your sin is wrong and you want to turn to Jesus, the Bible says that you can be saved or born again. That, that means that you, the penalty of your sin has been paid for and you no longer owe God anything. And so if you'd be willing today to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. I believe that he died for my sins and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. Friend, you could be saved today in a split second. You don't have to come forward to the church service. You don't have to pray with the pastor. You don't have to do anything other than confess your faith in Jesus Christ and confess your sin before him and you can be born again. Now, should you choose to take it on your own, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. If you choose not to put your faith in Jesus, you're free to do that. But you have to understand when you die, the penalty of your sin is 100% on your own shoulders. You will die and spend eternity separated from God in hell because that's what we deserve. But God wants to save you from your sin. If you've never been saved, today is the opportunity for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But you see, while we don't really get to be the arbiter of what's right and wrong. Our own choices don't determine what's right from wrong either. So many times people say, well, that's right, what's right for me. And we live in a duplicitous society today that gets to kind of pick and choose what we want as far as truth is concerned. And we say, well, that's his truth that he's speaking. Or that's what, what he wants to do. Just leave him alone, let him make his own decisions. But the fact of the matter is, while you can be left alone to make your own decisions, all of us, 100% of us, are accountable to God for the decisions that we make. There's coming a day where you will have to pay the consequences for the decisions that you make, and right and wrong is not determined based on what you feel is right or even what you have done, but based on what the Word of God says. And so it's interesting that we don't get to speak our truth. Truth belongs to God. He's the God of all truth, the Bible tells us. Truth belongs to him. I don't get to speak my truth and you speak your truth. There's one truth, and that is the truth of God. And so as we look at a difficult passage of Scripture today that we see their feet are swift to shed blood, we have to stop and really focus on how are we guilty of that? How is that something that could be laid to our charge? Uh, for, uh, my wife and I, we have four children. We have Thatcher, we have Vanderlei, uh, we have uh, Makili, and we have Tallulah. Tallulah's our five-year-old. Makili's uh, 14. Uh, Van just turned 21, and Thatcher's 28. So we've got them all spaced out by seven years. And so uh, through the process of that, this is a good place to pause for just a second and, and say, it's always inappropriate to ask someone why they don't have children. Okay, let me just put that out there for you to help you with just good life pro tip. 
don't ask somebody, why don't you have kids? Because chances are behind the answer to that is a lot of hurt, a lot of tears, a lot of disappointment, and a lot of waiting and anticipation. So just always inappropriate to ask that. Sometimes people ask us, well, why are your children spaced so far apart? We've got seven years between all of our kids and nine years between Makili and uh, Tallulah. Why are your kids spaced so far, far apart? We didn't plan it that way, but God did. And, and through all of that, there was a lot of uh, disappointment and heartbreak and a lot of waiting and uh, things along those lines in those seven-year periods between those. And so... Uh, we had had three children, and my wife and I, I could take you to where we were at in, in Coppola. We were sitting at a Starbucks uh, on my day off, and it was just the two of us. We were having a little coffee date and drinking coffee, and there was a mom who came in with her daughter. She was probably two years old or so, uh, and I looked over at her, and at the time, we had, had three kids, and I told my wife, I said, I don't think I have a single solitary regret in life, but I'm afraid that one day I'll regret that we didn't have more children. And she looked over at me like I had, you know, discharged a firearm uh, in, in Starbucks. She was like, what are you talking about? I go, babe, it's just something that, that I believe that God wants us to do. And she was like, okay, let's pray about it. And so, no lie, I could, I could take you back to prayer journals that I have from 2013 where we prayed for a baby. Uh, we prayed for years and years and years. We fasted and we begged God and we tried and we did everything that we knew under the sun to do. Uh, and, and man, it just wasn't happening. And, and so um, I can, I'll never forget it. In 2017, uh, 20, yeah, 2017 uh, we had uh, had our marriage enrichment weekend. Uh, interesting, Colin Cammie Haynes were our speakers for that weekend uh, back in 2017. I was exhausted that Saturday afternoon. I went and took a nap. Uh, and my wife woke me up for my nap. And she's like, wake up. And I was just like, just give me like 10 more minutes. And she's like, no, you have to wake up now. And I said, what is it? And she was like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, What? And I was like, how many tests did you take? And she said, all of them. I was like, <laughs> okay, and so you got my attention now. Like, wow, let's talk about this. And again, it was just one of those things we had figured that ship had sailed, we were done, and we were even looking at fostering or adopting and things like that uh, because it was that important to us. And so uh, I was, we were just absolutely over the moon. We didn't tell anybody. It was just our little secret. Man, we were, we were making lists, and our lists were having lists, and it's just like the thousand one things going through your brain. When does your doctor's office open? They open at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning. And so, man, we couldn't wait to make that appointment. I was just like, I can't wait to get, get there and figure out how far along you are and, and get the, you know, positive affirmation on this other than just like home tests. And we were so pumped up. 8.01, she makes a call. She puts it on speakerphone. We're excited. It's like, oh, doctor's office, how can we help? My wife says, I have a positive pregnancy test. So I want to make an appointment. And the nurse on the other end says, do you want to keep it? And she said, keep what? And she said, the pregnancy. And it's just like, that is one of the rudest things that I have ever heard in my life. And I am like appalled by that. Like, you would, that's your first question that you would ask? And so she was like, yeah. And so we kind of made the appointment and then felt really unsettled. It was for 10, 1030 or so later that day and really unsettled. That, that bothered me, but I kind of got over it. You know, anticipation's excited. We get in the car, we're going to the doctor's for the first doctor's appointment and uh, things like that. We're waiting in the waiting room. And like, I'm like a, a bull getting ready to be let out of the corral at the rodeo. Like I'm like all kinds of amped up. And so finally get called back to the room. And so she takes a test and the nurse comes back and the nurse kind of sheepishly opens the door and she says, so guys, it's um, positive. We're like, yeah, we already, we already knew that. And she's like, okay, okay. So is the plan to keep it? <laughs> You're the second person today that's tried to kill my kid. Of course we're going to keep it. I've been praying for six years for this kid, and everybody's trying to kill it. And, and for me, I was just like, for that point, I was just like, okay, I'm done with this. 
But this is the society that we live in today. Kids are a choice. It's a convenience factor. Is this a good time in your life for you to do this? And throughout the process, there were multiple health care professionals who tried to say things like, well, Mrs. King, you're a little bit older than our average mom. Are you sure that this is a good idea and things along those lines? It's just like, this isn't a, a choice. This is a child. This is life. And so it, it just immediately put a, a bad taste in my mouth. When we take a look at a nation that is swift to shed blood, I think of America, has a lot of blood of children on its hands. And I'm going to preface this uh, message today with a couple of different caveats. First of all, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. I don't care how you vote or who you vote for. At the end of the day, this is not a, a po- politics issue. This is what does the Bible say? The Bible says that life begins at conception in the mother's womb. Bottom line. And I'll go so far as to say this. You cannot be a Bible-believing Christian and not be pro-life. If you believe the Bible. Now, again, you can call yourself a Christian that doesn't believe all of Scripture and and make whatever choices you want. But you can't honestly be a Bible-believing Christian who's not pro-life. You just can't do it. So this is not a uh, a political issue. This is a biblical issue. Secondly, I want to say this. Definitely in a church of our size, there are women who have had abortions before. There's no judgment here. There's no, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you to feel shameful. I want you to feel the grace of God on your life. The, the payment of Christ's blood on the cross covers all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt. I, I was so encouraged last week when David and Tristan shared their story. And Tristan's the first person that I have ever met in my history being in church. Remind you, I've been in church for over 40 years ever the first person to publicly admit that they'd had an abortion. And she's had an abortion when I was 18, when I just got out of high school, and I didn't realize it was that big of a deal, I didn't realize it was a sin. And like, I was so blessed by that because she felt the freedom to be vulnerable with her church family and receive no judgment back. Nothing but love, nothing but grace, nothing but the goodness of God over that. And that, that's such a blessing. And I want you to know, if that's a, a case that you've made that decision in your past, that's fine. There's a lot of grace to cover that. And nobody is here is judging you. And I, the last thing in the world I want you to do is feel bad about that. Trislin had, had shared with me her story, and she said, Pastor, they just told me it was a medical procedure. I didn't realize it was a baby. I didn't realize it was a child. They just told me, like, oh, it's just some tissue. We'll just take care of it for you. You can go on with the rest of your life. And she goes, I I never knew that it was wrong. And so, again, we're not here to place blame. We're not here to condemn anybody. Like, this is a place of grace and healing. But we can't gloss over this and see that the greatest bloodshed in American history has never been at the hands of a military force, but it's been at the hands of mothers and fathers who saw children as a choice. And we can't gloss over that when we look at it this way. When we look at America, America has a lot of blood on its hands. You might not know this, but we think that, that, that and our nation thinks as a whole that abortion is a right. But we're only one of 67 nations in the world, one of 67 where abortion on demand is possible. Where somebody can say, I want an abortion, and then you'll get one of 67. America is number 15th in the world in leading in abortions, and the the other countries that we're grouped in with are not countries that you would say that you would want to be grouped in for any other reason. Top 15, Russia, Vietnam, Kazakhstan, Estonia, Belarus, Romania, Ukraine, Latvia, Cuba, China, Hungary, Mongolia, Seychelles, and Bulgaria, and then the United States. That's not really a list that we want to be a part of. This is not a list of the the most progressive, you know, blessed nations in the world. 
we look at this list and say, yeah, we don't really want to be on that list. But again, we live in a society today where this is considered health care. And let me just say this a little bit before we get started here today. There's no place else in the world that health care is, is determined health care when it ends the life of a viable human being. That's not health care. And so, again, when we look at a list like this, we can't turn a blind eye to it. We want to because it's uncomfortable. When we take a look at things like gun violence in America, I agree that gun violence is a problem, and that's a conversation for another day for sure. Uh, we see sensationalized media reporting on school shootings and things along those lines, which I hate with every fiber of my being. But if we're going to be have an honest conversation about this, we need to realize that since 2013, there were over 1,000 inf- incidents of gunfire school grounds, resulting in 346 deaths and 747 injuries nationally. Now, again, this is an issue. This is a conversation for another day. This is something that we can definitely talk about because these lives here, they matter too. Okay? So we're not minimizing the suffering of anyone. We're not minimizing the death of anyone. But when we look at this number, 346 in relation to the same time period, 2013 to 2019, there were 4.4 million abortions in America. The numbers aren't even remotely close. Not even close. So again, we have to look at this and say, okay, let's be honest about this. Do we really care about life? If we do, then we should do something about it. Do we really care Do we really value human life? If so, how do we respond to this? If we're a nation that is swift to shed blood, how do we turn it around? How do we fix it? Kanye West got canceled last October because he spoke out against abortion and several other things. I want to preface this. I'm not a Kanye West fan at all. I don't like his music. I don't listen to his music. He said a lot of troubling things for sure. But the things that really got folks riled up is he began to speak out against abortion. He began to say that while the Holocaust was awful, that there were 20 million that have died by the hands of abortion. And people said that that was anti-Semitic. You can't say things like that. He's downplaying the Holocaust. He's just trying to be honest. One of his statements that he made that got people really upset, he said, I don't care about people's responses. I care about the fact that there are more black babies being aborted than born in New York City at this point. And it's 50% of black death in America is abortion. So then, of course, you got the folks who come out and say, well, those statistics aren't true, those are lies, he's making stuff up, he's, he's making up his own stats, uh, this couldn't be true at all. And so they began to do a deep dive on the research to figure out in New York City what was the case. And the New York Health Department in 2019 data showed that 54% of black babies were born while 46 were aborted. And so as if, okay, he's off by four percentage points. It's still pretty close there, but then when they get, began to dig deeper into the numbers, 2013 to 2016, they actually found that over 50% of black children in America, or black children in New York City, were aborted by their mothers. And so the statistic's actually true. He's just off by a couple of percentage points. But the conversation moved away from death, genocide, and it moved to Kanye West is off his medication, Kanye West is crazy, uh, and things along those lines. And, and here's the thing. This is how messed up our our nation is. We use someone's mental health and whatever medicines they were prescribed, and we use that against them to denigrate them and to draw attention away from something that really is an issue. And and people have said his career will never recover from this. Again, did he say some other things? I don't know what else he said. I didn't read a full transcript. I just read this, and this was alarming and concerning to me. 
And so, again, if you take a look, this is definitely, I'm going to say this, and again, it might be controversial, I'm just going to say it. Abortion in America is certainly racially motivated, for sure. You don't find uh, Planned Parenthood clinics in high-end neighborhoods and communities. It's always communities that serve low-income and minority housing, always. Uh, we, li- we lived in uh, Los Angeles County for a while. You just have to drive around L.A. You don't find a lot of uh, Planned Parenthood clinics in, in Beverly Hills and Bel Air. You find a lot in Compton. You find a lot uh, in Inglewood that are primarily a minority. And so you're, you're literally extinguishing portions of an entire race through this. And again, if you want to Google Margaret Sanger, the, the creator of Planned Parenthood, you'll find that she was a, a racist and also eugenicist, which that means she believed that the fit should have more children and the unfit should have less children. And so that's one of the reasons why she was a, a high proponent of birth control, because there's a way to control the population of certain, quote, undesirable types of people. It's sick and filthy to the core. The, the murdering of children is bad enough, but when you murder children that you feel are unfit to live because of the color of their skin or their socioeconomic status, it's wicked is what it is. And this is just, the whole thing is disgusting to the core. And that's just Planned Parenthood. We take a look at uh, statistics for abortion. The Center for Disease Control, which is supposed to keep all these statistics, they lag usually three to four years behind in getting their data actually public out in the front and things like that. There are states like Texas. Uh, you can go to Texas uh, Department of Health website, and they'll actually give you statistics for it. 74% of abortions in the state of Texas in 2022, 74% were amongst minorities. If you don't think that that's a concerted effort to wipe out minorities in a state like Texas, I just don't think that you're paying attention or you're not interpreting the data appropriately. And again, you look at that and you say, well, there were 4,400 white women that terminated their pregnancy as well. Yeah, but that's disproportionate, the numbers between the minorities and the whites in the state of Texas, incredibly disproportionate. And so again, if we're going to say things like, well, well, you know, we want racial reconciliation, we want race to not be an issue in America, we can't ignore organizations that are looking to wipe out portions of our minority population. You just can't do that. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't claim that all lives matter when there are certain lives that really don't matter. And so again, we have to say too, if we believe in life, what is our response to this? For me, this kind of stuff just makes me sick. I'm going to say a statement that might be inflammatory, but I believe based on scripture, this is absolutely the truth. Abortion is the human sacrifice to the God of self. And again, that might make you feel awkward. I hope it does. We take a look at Psalm 106, verse number 34 is in your notes. Speaking of the children of Israel, they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen. They learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed in their sons and daughters unto devils. They shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled with their own works and went a-whoring to their own inventions. Now, again, nobody's sacrificing a child to a a statue in a corner that they put food out in front of. 
But when we make ourselves our own God, like we see in Romans chapter 1, and we decide that our needs are more important than another, and we can take the life of another human being because ours is more important, you have created a God of self. And again, when you look at things like the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade this year, which was absolutely unbelievable that that actually happened. I never thought I, thought I would see it in my lifetime, but here we are. Then you have people come out and they say, uh, they, they use these scapegoats where they say, well, what about this 10-year-old girl that was raped by her father? Should she have to give birth? You're taking away her rights. You're taking away her access to reproductive health care uh, to do something like that. And so there, there's always the mother of rape or incest or something along those lines that we uh, come out as the main reason why we need access to this. But if you look at the statistics behind this, 75% of people who have abortions say that the baby would interfere with their work, their school, or other responsibilities. 75% have an abortion out of convenience. 75%. That's... So... Someone should only be allowed to live if they're convenient. We would, we look at child murderers, parents who would drown their own children in their bathtub, or I remember many years ago, Susan Smith drove her kids strapped in their car seats into a lake, and we look at that and we say, that is the most vile, disgusting human being that could ever walk the planet. They don't deserve to breathe the same air that I breathe. But what was the motivation behind that? My kids were just too much. I couldn't handle it anymore. It was just overwhelming for me. And so when a woman terminates a child at six months in her own womb, we praise her for being so strong. We, we praise our system for being so feminine-oriented. But when someone does that to their three-year-old, we want to lock them up and throw away the key, which we should. But we fail to draw the lines that these are both the same, that we don't value life. It's expendable based on our own personal convenience. Of those uh, surveyed, 75% also said that they could not afford to care for a child. <coughs> I know many in our church that struggle with financial decisions and caring for elderly parents. Should we just let them go because they're a, a financial burden as well? Because if the only measure of whether or not someone deserves to live is how much money we have in the bank or whether or not it's, it's comfortable for us to afford, then we should be able to, to take life on a whim. Of those surveyed, 50% said that they didn't want to have, didn't want to be a single parent or didn't want to have a child with the other person. I remember the week that uh, Roe versus Wade got overturned last year. People you know, came out of the woodwork, upset. You're taking away my rights. You're taking away my ability to be able to do what I want. <laughs> and one woman, I think she failed to see the irony of what she said. She said, so you're telling me that if I have a one-night stand and I get pregnant from that, that I don't have any options? Yeah, your option was to not have a one-night stand with someone you didn't want to have a child with. That was your option. And we look at this like, oh, you're taking away my right, your right to what? To kill a kid that you don't want? That's shameful. But again, we see it as a matter of convenience. No, it's just a health care procedure. So again, people will say, what about the health of a mother? Hey, having this child would cause the mother to die. Of those surveyed, 4% were for the health of the mother. 
so is, is it as big of a deal as they say that it was? Interesting, the state of Texas, again, which released all their data, for the year 2022, they performed 17,200 abortions in the state of Texas. 17,200, remember that number. Of those that were due to the mother's health, 21 out of 17,200. That works out to 0.01%. And so, again, if you want to throw that out there, like, oh, you know, we need abortion to be able to save the life of a mother. Okay, if that's the only case that you would go, and I might concede that point, maybe. I don't like it, but I might concede that too, if you're willing to say that the other 96% of children actually get to live. In the case of uh, the health of the child, 3%, health of a child. So again, these are not mainstream cases. These are three in 100, one in 33. These are not like every single person who, you know, health of the child is going to, to be, is going to suffer. My wife and I, um, with Tallulah, my wife was past 40 when she had Tallulah, and so they, began, they get super cautious, want to run a bunch of tests and things like that. One of the ones they wanted to give was the amniocentesis, where they get the big long needle and shove it in there and, and, and draw fluid off. And we said, oh, not going to do that. And, and the nurse said, again, well, if there was something wrong with the baby, wouldn't you want to know what your options are? Yeah, my option is to raise a baby with a, a sickness or deformity. I'm okay with that. Well, you need to explore other options. There is no other option. So I'm not going to stick a big needle in my wife's stomach on purpose for no reason. Yeah, you can keep that test. They wanted to do a more extensive uh, ultrasound uh, on her for about two hours because of uh, her being over a certain age threshold to check for Down syndrome and things like that. Initially, we denied it, but the, the doctor we talked to, she said, if you're right to deny it, if you want to, she said, but if you have a child with Down syndrome, you want to prepare yourself for how to best care for that child. Okay, I'll take that. And so we ended up having the two-hour ultrasound, and everything is fine. But again, they don't, this isn't 100% science. Our, our daughter, Michaela, who's 15, we had gone in for her six-month ultrasound. They did an ultrasound, and the tech there got really panicked, looked on their face, and then they went and got their supervisor, and the supervisor was panicked, and they got the doctor, the doctor looked, and he was panicked, and they said, uh, we can't find the face on this child at all. It doesn't look like the child has a face. And so we're going to have to refer you out to a, a different facility to have a more in-depth ultrasound. <laughs> if you've ever worked with healthcare, it never moves fast, does it? It's not like, oh, we'll get you in a couple of hours. It's like, oh, we'll send a referral, and then they'll call you, and then they'll make an appointment at their first opening. But we got on the phone and kind of expedited the process and were able to get an ultrasound later that afternoon. So we drove like three hours to this hospital. We're sitting in a waiting room, you know, nervous that this child's not going to make it. And the ultrasound tech, who's all of like, you know, 21 years old, looks, she's like, well, there's a face right there. I see two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. And she's like, yeah, they didn't see none of that. And I was like, I don't know what they were looking at. This, this kid's fine. Nothing wrong with it at all. <laughs> Could you get your, the doctor to come in? Sure. The doctor came in and looked at it and she's like, yeah. Exactly what he said. Two eyes, nose, mouth. There's nothing wrong with this kid at all. Oh, okay. I'm glad somebody didn't make a decision to take the kid's life because they didn't have a face, right? I mean, again, when we look at this stuff and you say, wow. And here's the question too. There are our countries, this is, this is vile. For children that have Down syndrome that are found in the womb, there's a 100% termination rate required by law. Is that messed up? What, kids with Down syndrome don't deserve to live? What? Well, they create an undue burden on 
stop. This is a child that God created, that has life, that has purpose, that has a reason to live. And you're trying to snuff out life. I was talking with a friend yesterday, and they told me something. I told flat out, you're a liar. You're a liar. And he said, no, I'll send you the article. And so he sent me the article, and he was telling the truth. This is, how, this is the value of life in our society today. This is a Canadian bill that was put out. Canadian bill that was put out, I don't think it's going to go anywhere because the average person with two brain cells would know that this is terrible. In, the, in Canada, they're looking to legalize euthanasia, assisted suicide for minors without parental consent. You're a liar. That, that nobody put that on paper and thought that was a good idea. He's like, I'll send you the article. He sent it to me. I read it. I was just like, assisted suicide for a minor without parental consent. What in the world? This, there's so little value for human life. 1%, 1% or less survivor of rape. So again, Everybody wanted to trot out the 10-year-old who got pregnant by her father or family member or something along those lines. Like, you're going to make this girl have this baby and she's going to be traumatized the rest of her life because of this. Less than 1% of those cases. We're not, we're not talking about a girl who's in her second year of college and doesn't have time for a baby, okay? Less than 1%. So, again, we've got to be honest if we're looking at these statistics. Abortion, flat out, is an act of violence that kills a living human being. Period. In the year 2019, which is the latest that the Center for Disease Control has available publicly, in 2019 in America, there were 630,000 babies that were aborted. 21% of all pregnancies end in abortion. 21%, that's one in five. Look, there's 630,000. If since 2013 to 2019, 4.4 million, there's 4.4 million kids that should be walking around that aren't. That's troubling. That, that was in 2013. These kids should be eight, nine years old by now, but they're not. They never got a chance to take their first breath. In the state of Hawaii, again, when it comes to politics, Hawaii leans liberal. Basically, we take everything that California does and we copy it and we call it good. And so I pray for the end of abortion in America. And when it comes down to at the state level, I don't think Hawaii will ever be a, one that, a state that values life. The majority of places in the world, you can have an abortion up to 12 weeks. Those that legalize it have a cutoff at 12 weeks end of the, before the end of the first trimester. Do you know in the state of Hawaii, you can have an abortion up to 24 weeks? That's over half of your pregnancy. This is a child. It's a heartbeat. This is a brain. This is the forming of a person inside of someone that we can take out up to six months into its life. If you're under the age of 18, you can consent for yourself. And there's no waiting period. If you cannot afford an abortion, they will sign you up for Medicaid on the spot. And the taxpayers of the state of Hawaii will pay for your abortion for you. A minor, 
No parental consent needed. What does that mean? That means my 15, my 14-year-old my daughter, 14-year-old daughter could walk into a Planned Parenthood clinic, they'll sign her up for Medicaid and get the state of Hawaii to pay for her abortion and they never have to tell her parents. And if we ask, they will tell us that her medical records are sealed and only she has the right to determine who they're unsealed for. No, that's my kid. Like her school wouldn't give her a Tylenol. She has a headache without me giving verbal consent, but she can take a life and snuff it out and have lifelong ramifications. And, and I don't get a say in that as a parent. It's backwards. It's twisted. I found this statistic out two years ago and I was absolutely floored. And again, I didn't believe it. So I did some research and found out to be the case. Leading abortion provider in the state of Hawaii is the University of Hawaii, John A. Burns Medical School. Wait, you, you're telling me that we got medical students that are practicing abortions on women and it's being funded by a public university? Absolutely. Wow. That's pretty sobering, pretty heartbreaking. It's sad enough that Planned Parenthood just opened up two years ago, a beautiful new facility there on Baratania Street. That's sad, but when we have medical students that are trained to be doctors, that they are learning about reproductive health care like this and they're practicing on real life children that's problematic so what do we do well first of all we're called to defend those who can't defend themselves it's just a biblical principle it's amazing to me that we as a nation will run to the defense militarily of a underdog who doesn't have the capability to defend themselves but yet we willingly, gleefully take the life of an unborn ch child who has no ability to defend themselves. And we call it progressive female rights. No. It's not a matter of women's rights. It's about the right of every single person to be able to live. When we take a look at adoption in America, adoption in, the adoption system in America is just broken. That's the best way to put it. For every one family that, is, that has received a child through adoption, there are 32 other families that are waiting for a child. So massive shortage of children to be given homes to. The average cost of an abortion in the United States of America is about $500. Majority of websites that you go to that you do research, you'll find out that either your insurance covers it or they have programs, grants uh, that will cover it for you. And so again, really easy to snuff out the life of a child. We'll make it so that you don't have to pay a dime. Average cost of a adoption of a newborn in the United States, a domestic adoption, anywhere from $20,000 to $45,000. We have some friends of ours that adopted almost 10 years ago. They paid $60,000 to adopt a newborn child. 60 grand. And I'm going to step away from my pastor hat for just a minute. I'm going to put my own opinion in parentheses here before we get back to facts in the Bible, okay? But when you say that we're going to take a baby that doesn't have a home and we'll give it to you if you give us $60,000, that's basically sanctioned human trafficking, okay? I'm going to step back into my pastor role here again. That was just my personal opinion. Why is it so difficult to give a home to a child, yet it's so easy to snuff out the life of a child? Because we don't value life. We just don't. The average cost for uh, an international adoption, 
You know, from $35,000 to $70,000 because you're dealing with two different governments and air travel and visas and citizenship and things along those lines. even more difficult to adopt internationally sometimes and, and considerably more expensive. Fastest growing demographic of those that are adopting babies in the United States who are actually laying out the coin to make this happen. Anybody want to take a guess? The LGBTQ community. They're willing to, to lay down 60 grand to have a newborn. They're willing to pay the price. And again, there's a market for it, so people are willing to, 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 to supply and demand issue. So it's interesting, you know, they have all these, you know, lopsided videos they put on the internet. There was a, a guy who was trying to prove a point. He went to a pro-life rally and he went around with a clipboard asking people if they would take a baby. And so there's this guy holding up a, you know, and abortion now, sign or something like that. And walks up to him, hey, would you sign over here? We have a child who needs a home. Would you sign for it? And the guy's like, oh, no, I'm not really ready for that. I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. And it's like, oh, see, they, they want to save life, but they don't, nobody really wants to do it. They're just out here holding signs up, right? Look, I know two dozen people, families in our church right now, who said, sign here to take a baby. Hey, sign. I'll take it. You know why? Because we really value life. And so, again, the, the thing wants to be like, oh, they're willing to hold up signs, not really willing to love kids. No, we're willing to love kids. We have, we have several families in our church right now that are awaiting foster children in their home because they love life. And they believe that these kids need a shot and a chance at life. It's a big deal. And so we can't minimize this and pretend like it's not a big deal. It's huge. And so adoption system right now is pretty broken. The fostering system in Hawaii is very difficult to get into and difficult to get someone placed in your home and the adoption from uh, foster is difficult as well. It's just hard all the way around. There's one adoption agency here on the island of Oahu, one. And so it's just incredibly difficult. But again, I'm the type of person that can't just say, ah, we can't, nothing we can do about this, you know. It just is what it is. It's a broken system. I think we have to do better than that. And so what's our response to this? Should we all get poster board signs to go stand outside of a Planned Parenthood clinic and shout at women when they go in, I think that's a terrible, terrible idea. Bad. Should we, you know, castigate and demonize people who get abortions? I think it's a bad idea. I really do. So what do we do? First of all, we pray that God would end abortion in the United States. Look, I've been, I've been praying this prayer here for over two decades that God would, would cause America to see the error of her ways and she would end it. And no lie, this past year when the Supreme Court overruled Roe versus Wade, I thought to myself, praise God. God did that. God did it. Because, you see, now, now it goes down to the state level. The state gets to decide what they want to do with it. Roe versus Wade now becomes a state-by-state -state fight. When the state of Texas, once they repealed Roe versus Wade, Texas put into uh, a law really, really strict anti-abortion laws for sure. And we saw where on average they were having 25 to 3,500 uh, abortions per month. They went down to zero. If you see this statistic right here, in July is when the Roe versus Wade got overturned. August, they had three. September, they had three. And if you read the further statistics, they have major detailed statistics for Texas. All six of those were for the life of the mother. And so you go from 3,500 down to like zero. I call that a win. That's big. Within 100 days of Roe versus Wade overturning, 66 clinics across 15 states stopped offering abortion procedures. So that I say, praise God. Now, this article here, 
which for we would look at and we would go, man, praise God, was put out by the Guttmacher Institute, which is uh, all for women retaining their reproductive rights. So if you notice down at the bottom here, the time is now Will you stand up for reproductive health and rights, donate now. Hey, they're willing to, to get together a group of people who are willing to put their money where their mouth is and actually stand for the right to take the life of a child. But we got Christians who are like, oh, that's a political issue. I don't want to get into that. that. That's somebody else's problem. No, it's not. It's our problem because we're commanded to defend those that can't defend themselves. Amen. And so we need to pray that God would end abortion in America. Pray that people's eyes would be open to see truth for what it is. Secondly, we should stand up for the right of all people to live. All people. If, if life is sacred and special, let's protect it. And again, the argument that people want to make against Christians and those that are pro-life are like, oh, you're only pro-life when the, the kids are in the womb. Once they make it out of the womb, you don't care about them. That's not true at all. We have people in our church that are willing to take foster kids up into teenage years in their house. Why? Because these kids don't have a chance otherwise unless somebody loves them and points them to Jesus. We value this. This is important to us. We value all life. Everybody deserves the right to live. Number three, encourage others that might be thinking about abortion to seek adoption. Hey, would you be willing to place your child for adoption other than taking his life? I know, man, a dozen families in my church that would be willing to do that. There, there's a case, no lie, in, in our church last year, where there was a mother who was thinking about uh, placing her child for adoption. And there were like five families in our church who were like, hey, if, if somebody doesn't take, take the child, I'll take it. Why? Because we love life. Everybody deserves a chance. We're going to take some kid and just let it get put in a government system where hopefully they'll make it one day. You know, we're going to love and nurture and bring this child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're going to train up this child in a way that they should go so when they're old, they won't depart from it. We want there to be hope for these children. Several years ago, just so you know here at Who We Call, if this is your first Sunday, first of all, welcome to Who We Call. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Not this heavy every week, but you just came on a heavy Sunday. Uh, but we, normally we talk about this subject probably every 18 to 24 months here because we need to keep in perspective. This is taking place right under our noses. And, and so we need to remember to other people have crisis. Hey, seek adoption. There was a lady probably five years or so ago who had preached this message on, on life. Uh, and one of her coworkers had gotten pregnant out of wedlock and she was considering terminating the pregnancy. And she said, hey, would you just go to this um, women's center in Waipahu that our church helps out? I think they would be able to help you. And she said, I'll give it a shot. And so she went to a place for women, which our church yearly takes a, um, an offering for. She went out there to a place for women. They sat down with them, went through the gospel with her, showed her an ultrasound of her baby on the screen, listened to the heartbeat, put a little uh, baby model in her hand. This is how big your baby is right now. This is what it's forming over the next couple weeks. Here's how it's going to form more. And she got to see that, and she was just like, I think I'm going to ride this out. Amen. Saved a baby's life. And so, man, encourage other people to look for alternatives. Hey, look, if, you're, if, if you don't want your child and you want to place it for adoption, I know people at my church that would be willing to, to take it with quickness, you know? And so, again, we have to love life at every stage. Lastly, number four, we need to support Christian-based pregnancy crisis centers. Like the one I was speaking about in Waipahu, there's another one in Kaneohe. Every woman that comes in hears the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for her. They get to see their child. They get to, to um, see an ultrasound of it. You see a model. 
the place that we support, a place for women, last year put together a, um, a mobile unit where they have like an RV that's been outfitted with an ultrasound and tables and a waiting area and things like that. They'll park in a parking lot and have ladies come by and get free ultrasounds and free uh, pregnancy tests and things along those lines. We want to support that because they love life, but they also love Jesus. And we want to encourage that the best that we can because we want people to know, hey, there's other options out there. And let, let me just tell you this too. Things like that pregnancy crisis center are under fire as well from the government perspective. I think it was uh, either last year or two years ago, there was a bill, thankfully it didn't make it all the way through in the state of Hawaii, that for pregnancy crisis centers, they had to offer women options should they choose to terminate their pregnancy. So here's your baby, here's the model, here's what Jesus has done for you. But if you decide to take the life of your child, here's who you can call to do it. And thankfully that didn't pass because they're just able to be able just to do Jesus' work now. But again, we need to pray for them. We need to support them. We need to encourage them. We'll take a, an offering this Mother's Day for a place for women. And just as we take that offering, here's why we're doing that, because we want to support life. And they have stories of dozens and dozens of babies every single year that are saved. Every year at Christmas, uh, they send our church a Christmas card. It has a list of all the names of the children that were born because the mothers came there and chose life. Like, it doesn't get any better than that. And so we all have a part that we can do. Again, this is not a political issue. This is just a biblical issue. We need to be willing to stand up when people say like, oh, people need rights to do what they want. My body, my choice. Actually, it's another person's body inside your body. And they don't have a choice. So we get to choose life for them. It was interesting to see the my body, my choice argument was only good for abortion, but it wasn't good for your vaccination status. You know, it kind of only goes one way. The government will mandate what takes place on your body when it's convenient for them, but when they, they want you to be able to do what you want, then, then they don't have any rights over you. Supposedly it goes. It's a, it's, a, it's a flawed argument all the way around because here's the thing. At the end of the day, my body belongs to Christ. It's been a purchased possession by him. I don't get to do what I want without what I want. Whatever's inside of me was placed there by God himself, and I don't get to do with that whatever I want. So we just need to remember that. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't walk out of here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Again, if you ha have been the victim of something like this, all the shame goes to Jesus. All the guilt goes to him. You no longer have to be a victim. You get to walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. There's no shame here for sure. And for those of us they call ourselves Christians. We get the opportunity to pray and stand for life this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.